And I'd like us to turn again to the passage in the Old Testament, book of Genesis, and at chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, reading again at verse 7. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Now this story of Abraham and Isaac is really much more than a mere story. It's in the form of a parable. As the Lord Jesus Christ told parables in the New Testament, this story also of Abraham and Isaac is a parable foreshadowing the great story of redemption that God the Father effected with his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the story begins all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, where God has a controversy with Adam and Eve because of their disobedience. And the promise that he gave there was that the seed of the woman shall crush the head of the seed of the serpent. Enmity had been established between mankind and Satan. And because of that enmity which had been established, there was also controversy that was occasioned between God and mankind. And that controversy became the reason of the separation between God and mankind when Adam and Eve were put out of the Garden of Eden and there was an angel put there with a sword to guard the way to the tree of life, which proclaims the way to life everlasting. Now, as we read this particular narrative, we can see what a huge test, how severe this test was for Abraham. We're told that the command that God gave him, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go into the land of Moriah and offer him there or a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you of. Now here is a, a man who left Earth the Chaldees at the request of God to go into a place that he knew not to go to a place he knew nothing about, and yet he goes obediently. Now, up to this point, really, in the narrative, Adam, or Abraham, should I say, had received a, a very great promise of God. He was childless in his, in his own latter stage of life, as was his wife, and God had provided them with a son, Isaac. And in that son, 
all the promises of God and the offspring of Abraham or the, the future of Abraham's seed was contained in Isaac. And here was that long looked for child and he appeared after God Abraham and Isaac gave, received that promise of God. And we told after all these things, after Isaac had grown up, after he'd become a young man and matured into manhood, after all these things, God again came to test Abraham, to test his faith and his love for God alone. We see there in the narrative when God says to Abraham, do not lay your hand upon the boy or anything, do anything to him, for now I know uh, that you fear God. You have not withheld your son. Maybe there was something in Abraham's life which was causing him to dote on his son. In the same way as Eli doted on his sons, allowing them to sin so severely in the temple there in Shiloh, maybe Abraham was going down that same line and God wanted to see where Abraham's real duty and real obedience lay. And so we have here this test of Abraham's obedience as to what sort of man he still was. And so Abraham, in believing God, reckoned not on his, the infirmity of his own age or the barrenness of Sarah's womb, but he waited patiently for the promise that God had given him that his seed would be established on the earth they would be as numerable as the, the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore and we can but only imagine how much love and affection he poured out on his son Isaac when he was eventually born. Remember, Abraham was about 100 years of age and his wife possibly 90 years of age. And when they received this son, this longed-for son, no doubt they doted on him, no doubt they treated him with the, the fondest love. And, as I said, in Isaac were all the promises of God established. And so we have here, after all the tests and trials that Abraham has had along life's journey, he has these days when he thinks everything is going to be easy, there's going to be no more trials, more difficulties, and then suddenly this greatest of all trials occur. After all these things, after these things, after his whole life of difficulties, of moving land and and going to a place he did not know, having waited years for his, his son, God tested Abraham and asked him to offer up his son, his only son, whom he loved. To kill his only son, to cut off the promises of the posterity that he hoped for, and to sacrifice his son as a burnt offering, to God. Now as I said, this is a parable of 
what the Lord effected in the Lord Jesus Christ and the story of salvation. Abraham here is cast in the, the part of the father and Isaac is cast in the part of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there is this great act being worked out for us here and for our salvation. And what we have to do here is to mark the faith of Abraham. That's the first thing we see here in this narrative. The faith Abraham has in God. We see it first of all when he leaves his own country, Earth the Chaldees, and goes into the land of Canaan, going to a land that he would inhabit and inherit, and yet that he knew nothing about. God had said, I will take you to a land which, which I will give to you and to your seed after you. And yet he knows nothing of the land, and yet he goes in faith, believing that God had called him to go there. And after all these years, he is suddenly given this particular test from God. We can imagine his own emotions during the night before he set out. Did he tell Sarah? We don't know, we're, we're not told. He certainly hadn't told Isaac or what was going to happen. All we're told is that so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac, his son. And then the, all the preparations were made for that journey. The wood was cut, the knife was prepared, the fire was taken in his hand. And so they set off on this journey. Three days journey from the land where they were living into the land of Moriah. Now, for those of you who know Jerusalem, where the Temple Mount is, if you've been inside what's called the Dome on the Rock there, that shrine which Islam has built over the rock, that is the place where it is believed that Abraham went to offer the sacrifice. The place where he bound his son and laid him on that rock to offer him up. And down through the centuries after that, that's where the sacrifices were made and the temple ritual. Because that's also where the temple stood in the old dispensation. But we have here the story of Abraham going from where he lived, where he, he sojourned, to be told in the last verse of the previous chapter, many days in the land of the Philistines. But he's told to go to the land of Moriah, Mount Sinai, as we would call it today. And, sorry, not Mount Sinai, Mount Zion, as you would call it today. Mount Sinai is the, land, is, the, is the mountain upon which Moses received the Ten Commandments from God. Mount Zion is the place where the Old Testament calls Mount Moriah. And so Abraham goes with his son, he goes to this land where he has been told to offer up his son Isaac. And as he goes, no doubt, walking for three days, the conversation would have ranged over, over many topics. But there's one topic that Isaac wants to know about. 
He cuts the wood for the burnt offering and went to the place which God had told him of. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Again, for three days, they'd be walking. For three days, Abraham knows what God has asked him to do. For three days, he's continuing there in faith, believing that even if he carries out what God has asked him to do, God is able to raise Isaac from the dead. Now we can say, perhaps, oh, that's all right then. If Isaac's going to be brought back from the dead, there's, there's going to be no great difficulty for Abraham. But can you imagine a father being asked to offer up a son, to kill a son with a knife, and to offer him up as a burnt offering? The emotions of Abraham must have been severe at this particular time, as all the thoughts and all the emotions go through his, his mind, and no doubt his heart is breaking, is what God has asked him to do. And as they reach the land of Moriah, Abraham says to his young men, Now you stay here with the donkey, and I will go over there to the mountain and worship and come again to you. He's so confident that he is going to come back. He says to the young men there, we're going to go away and we're going to come back to you again together. So we're told they went, both of them, together. And as they go, Isaac asks his father, here is the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? No doubt many questions had been going through Isaac's mind on this, this journey. Three days they've been walking. They said many things. Their conversation was arranged over many things. But obviously it hadn't, hadn't ranged on this particular aspect of, of the sacrifice that was going to be made. And, but when they're alone, Isaac asks his father, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And then Abraham, has, Abraham says something that we can suppose that's even beyond his deepest understanding, as close as he, as he was to God. He says, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. Now in the, in the whole mystery of salvation, the lamb that God provides for the burnt offering is his own lamb, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, the lamb of God who bears away the sin of the world. But Abraham didn't know of that when he was going to Mount Moriah. He was going there simply in obedience to God's command. And as he goes, no doubt he's pondering these things and he's, he's wondering what's going to happen. But he knows he's going there in obedience to God's command and he's going there acknowledging he must carry out the request or the test God has given him to do to offer up his son a sacrifice and so as they go they come to the place of which they are told which God had told Abraham about and Abraham built there an altar no doubt with the help of Isaac and they gather wood for uh, that altar and the scene is set. The scene is set there for the next phase of what's going to happen. What we see in the next phase is Isaac's obedience to his father. 
we see Abraham's faith, his total dependence upon God, upon what God has commanded him to do, his total faith that God is able to raise Isaac from the dead if he has to go through and kill him as he expects so to do. But then we see also Isaac's obedience. The obedience of a son who does exactly what his father asked him to do. Isaac would have been a grown man by this time. Possibly people reckon perhaps he was the same age as the Lord Jesus Christ. 33 years of age when the Lord was offered up on the cross. So here is Isaac having carried the instrument of his his own death, the wood on his back, even as the Lord carried the cross on his back to the crucifixion. Here's Isaac carrying that wood with him up there. He builds the altar, lays the wood on the stone-built altar, and then Abraham tells him what God has commanded him to do. And so Isaac, in total obedience and trust in his father, does what his father asks him to do. It is a story that's uh, almost beyond our understanding as we try and imagine not only the emotions of Abraham but also the emotions of Isaac as he lies down on the altar, as he is bound and as his father takes up that knife to slay his son. And here we have that, that picture of the Lord Jesus Christ also. He is on the cross waiting to be killed as a divine sacrifice so that you and I might be saved. We have here this, this whole understanding of what is going on in the cross as we look here at this story of Abraham and Isaac. When they arrive, when they arrive at this particular point, it's Abraham who takes up the knife. We can imagine the emotion, we can imagine perhaps even tears in his eyes as he commits himself to do what he's going to do. The knife is raised, he raises the knife. And he is about to plunge that knife into the breast of his son having committed himself to doing this act, when the voice cries out to him, Abraham, lay not your hand upon this boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God and you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And so we have here this, this whole aspect of faith and trust and obedience in this family. Faith going back to the time when Abraham leaves Ur of the Chaldees to come to Canaan. Faith and trust there as Abraham goes to Moriah, the land of Moriah and Mount Moriah to offer up his son. Obedience and trust also in his father in Isaac obeying his, his father and, and becoming the sacrifice that God had told Abraham to commit. No doubt in the whole conversation, in this discussion of who God is and, and what God has asked him to do, there would have been a great depth of, of faith that God is able to do that. No doubt Abraham communicated to Isaac, God is able to raise you from the dead even if I kill you. 
even from your ashes, he is able to raise you from the dead. In the way that speaks of our own resurrection. As one day we shall be raised from the dead, even as Isaac trusted that God was able to raise him from the dead. So also that's what we believe, that this life is but a precursor to the time when we shall be raised incorruptible from the dead to be with the Lord throughout the endless ages of glory. And so we have here then this, this great understanding of, of what is happening. And Abraham also lifts up his eyes and looks. After he steps away from his son, after he, he, he lowers the knife, he turns around and looks and says, Behold, there was a ram caught in his thicket and by the horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up as a burnt offering instead of his son. As we look at this substitution that's going on here on Mount Moriah, we see the substitution that affects us on Golgotha, the place of the skull, the place of the cross, where the Lord Jesus Christ is offered up for us. See, when the Lord raises his knife on Calvary, on Golgotha, there's no one to say to him, lay not your hand upon the lad, do not touch him. All he hears is his own voice saying, Arise, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man of my right hand, and slay him. And Christ is slain. Christ is offered up as sacrifice for divine justice. People say, How could God have slaughtered his innocent son? How could God have allowed that to happen when he had done nothing wrong? But the whole plan of salvation was caught up in this one particular act that God had so arranged the salvation of the world that this was the only way he could guarantee your salvation in mind. If we go back again to the creation, Adam and Eve were, were given a will whereby they would obey God. They had an inclination to obey God's will and so walk with them. But at the first sign of temptation that comes along, they, they fall from that obedience and they become disobedient to God and so no separation from God and animosity from God toward them. And so that would have happened to each and every one of us. If we'd all been born innocent with the will desiring to do God's will throughout all our days, yet we also would have fallen to the same temptation that they had fallen to. The temptation, of course, was to, to be like God, to know good and evil, to be as they were tempted by us. We are tempted every day of our lives to see the fruit, to know that it was good to look at, to know it was good to taste and it was desirable to make us wise. And so we think all the experiences that are in this life are something we should taste. We've got to live life to the full 
We can't just live in our, in our cloistered churches or our cloistered houses and, and don't experience the world in which we live. And, but that's just a temptation that the devil throws at us. You must go out and experience life. You can't just live the life that the Bible says you are to live. And so we'd have fallen just as much into temptation that Adam and Eve succumbed to. And so God makes the only way of salvation. The only way he can guarantee a salvation for men and women to be with him throughout the endless ages of eternity. And that is to send his only son into this world. To seek and to save the lost and to give his life a ransom for the many. He gives his life so that you and I might never know the second death. That spiritual death which would separate us from God throughout the endless ages of eternity. And the offer of salvation is there for us. The offer of salvation is there that we might accept it. We might realize what God has done. He offered up the son of his love. My beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He offered him up so that we might be saved. And that's why Abraham here says God will provide himself or for himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So he doesn't provide a ram, a lamb or a ram. He provides the man Christ Jesus. And that's why I said this is a parable. A parable here is a story which defines what in fact happens on the cross. It's described here in a simple way in the story of Abraham and Isaac. In the story of God the Father and God the Son as is in fact acted out in reality. Acted out so that you and I might know the great plan of salvation in our own experience. And so on the Lord offering up his son, he, we have here a vivid picture of what was required of Christ that we might be saved. He went to the cross knowing that he must die. In the same way as Isaac was obedient to his father Abraham, he could have resisted his father. He was strong and able. Abraham by this time no doubt was old and feeble. Isaac could have resisted and, and so not gone through with this whole planned scenario. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he's tempted by those around him, let him prove that he's the son of God. Let him come down. Of course he could have come down. Of course he could have negated this whole plan. But that would have left you and me without any salvation, without any hope of an eternity, a saved eternity. But Christ had to go through with this great plan of salvation so that you and I might be saved. He allowed himself to be bound. He subjected himself to all the, the, the wickedness of those that surrounded him. Subjected himself to all the, the wickedness of, of those who mocked him and, and struck him and eventually crucified him. He permitted that to happen to him. He had no reason to allow himself to do it, yet he permits himself to do it. He allows, sorry, he permits them to do it to him so that you and I might be saved. In the New Testament, we're told the Lord in the Gospel of John, I think, chapter 8, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced in it. As Abraham goes through this whole act of obedience, he 
get an understanding of what God is going to do for the children of men. And he gets it there in this, this whole promise that God makes to him. I will surely bless you and I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Abraham sees God's day. Abraham sees Christ's day and the sacrifice that Christ is going to make because he has obeyed God. All nations of the earth will be blessed through his offspring. As the genealogies of the New Testament reveal to us, the Lord Jesus Christ is of the seed and of the lineage, not only of David, but also of, of Abraham himself. And so this, this great story here is not just a story. It pictures for us the work and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ in coming to this earth and to give his life a ransom for the many. When we see that Abraham's hand is stayed or prevented from doing this act of obedience, we can see at once that the whole act of obedience is, is incomplete. The ram is caught in a thicket. The ram is caught and laid hold on, dragged out and put into the place of Isaac. But in the Lord Jesus Christ, he doesn't provide a sacrifice for him. He is the sacrifice. He's your substitute and mine. He dies spiritually, he dies physically, so that you and I should never have to die spiritually. We'll never know the experience of Christ on the cross when he cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We shall never be forsaken in that way because of what Christ experienced and what he did for you and for me. And what shall we say as we hear this narrative? We can but rejoice in the provision God has made for salvation. We can rejoice in the fact that our lives are hid with Christ and God. But surely also we mourn for those who are yet strangers to the grace and the mercy that there is in Christ Jesus. The mercy that's extended and rejected. The mercies that's offered but refused. It may it be that as we, we see and somehow in a, in a slight way understand what salvation is about and what it offers to us, uh, that we will not reject, but we will close in with the great offer of salvation that is in Christ Jesus. How we are saved, we know. We are saved because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. We know that he offered himself up as a, as, a, as a burnt offering for us and for our salvation. How are we going to 
answer our heavenly judge when he asks us, what did you do with Christ when you were offered so much? What are you going to say when you were asked, how was it you refused the great gift of love that I offered you? Where are we going to look when we find ourselves accused not only of unbelief, but also hard-heartedness and rebellion against a God who so loved us. You see, really the story is about God. The story is about God the Father. He offers up His Son. He is the one who so loved the world. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world. God the Father so loved the world that He offered up His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever, whoever you are, whatever you've done, whatever your place has been in the world, if you but trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to save a wretch like you and like me, that we might be his, and not only here and now, but throughout the endless ages of eternity. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Let us then conclude our worship singing to God's praise in Psalm 73. 73rd Psalm at verse 23. Page 316. Nevertheless, continually, O Lord, I am with thee. Thou dost behold by my right hand and still upholdest me. To the end of the psalm, six stanzas to God's praise.
And now may grace, mercy and peace. In the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, rest on you and abide in you now and always. Amen.